Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Andrews. And I am Nick Andrews. Surprise, surprise. Not Eddie this week. Uh, he actually had to unfortunately step away from doing the podcast this week just from items popping up on his list, having a busy week. And whether you like me or not, here I am. And uh, I know my brother likes me. I think hopefully more often than not. Yeah, you you're, did a great job earlier this season when we brought you on. So when I'm Eddie wasn't about personally. <laughs> yeah, maybe sometimes, sometimes. Welcome to the seventh episode, our week 12 of the fantasy football season. Um, this week, I decided to kind of change up a little bit of the content, you know, keeping some of our staple segments, but. I decided that I wanted to switch it up so that it doesn't get too dry listening to the same thing over and over. So I actually wanted to kick us off by announcing that over each of the next three episodes, we are going to be doing some fantasy award segments. But I decided that it was enough of you guys hearing Eddie and I's opinions or, you know, tonight, Nick and I's opinions. I wanted to actually hear from you guys, um, or we rather wanted to hear from you guys for these fantasy awards instead of us making the picks for the fantasy awards um i'm gonna list some fantasy awards here and we would like for you guys to reach out to myself or eddie with your nominations for them so what what we're gonna do is announce the winners of these awards on various episodes between now and the end of the season depending on the nature of the award and we will actually be taking nominations for each award up until the weekend before the episode that we plan to announce the winners of that award um, which I will list off here in a second, and as well as when we're going to announce them. Please only make a maximum of two nominations per award, and that's just to kind of make it so that we don't have to sift through 12 different nominations. So here are the awards that I put I put this list together. I thought that this kind of covered a lot of bases. So the first one is most valuable manager, and that might not mean what you think it does, so let me explain. What I was going for with this award was the manager who adds the most value to the league environment with his interactions in the group, as well as with other individual managers. So in other words, the guy that kind of just makes the league a lot more fun, a lot more fun and that you really enjoy talking to. That one we're going to announce next week. So we're taking nominations for that through, you know, I said the weekend before, but probably through even Monday. So when you listen to this, and I'll even send something in the group text for all of these, please send us your nominations for most valuable manager, the guy that adds the most value to the league in terms of his interactions. The second one that we're going to announce next week, and I decided to wait until next week, until after the trade deadline happens tomorrow night, it's the worst trade offer. So this one's pretty self-explanatory. It's the worst trade offer that you have personally gotten all year, plain and simple. Nominations for this one are going to open on Friday after our trade deadline is passed. And again, we will announce the award for this one week 13. And this one isn't going to get votes because obviously these are going to be unique to whoever nominates them. So Eddie and I maybe mention a couple of them, but probably decide on one that you know we think is probably the worst. The next one is going to be, or the next two, I should say, are going to be week 14. So two episodes from now. The first award is best trader. And for that one, it's going to be the manager who struck the best balance of quantity and quality of trade wins this season. So not just 
um, one big trade that they really want on or a lot of small trades that they really that they want on but kind of whoever had the best val- balance of consistently making trades that help their team get better and that they kind of won those trades. So, you know, interpret from that as you will and make your nominations there. The next one is related to it. It's best negotiator. So the manager that you enjoyed negotiating with the most throughout the season, that'll also be announced week 14. And I'll recap these, this list of awards, both at the end of this segment, as well as in the group. So don't worry about trying to remember these. The last two that we will be announcing will come in week 15's episode. And one of them is best candidate for comeback manager of the year next season. So basically for this one, it's going to be which one of our teams that disappointed to an extent this season that you think will put on a show next year and be a strong team and, you know, likely a playoff team competing for a championship. And then our last one is uh, kind of an all encapsulating award. It's best manager. So for me, the way that I define this is just who was the best, plain and simple. That'll also be announced week 15. That'll be our last one. So again, we have most valuable manager, worst trade offer, best trader, best negotiator, best candidate for comeback manager of the year next season, and best manager. So again, I will announce those in the group, but I just wanted to let you guys know that we are interested in hearing your opinions so that we can incorporate them into the coming podcast episode. So I'm excited about that. Let's get into some of our traditional content, starting with the prior week recap and leading off with the biggest upset. What did you have, Nick? The biggest upset for sure. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's undoubtedly Keegan over Sean. And that's, how do you pronounce it? Sugma over Mad Hatter, Matadors? Um, Sugma. And- Sugma. As in Sug My Balls. Nice. What a great name, Keegan. Um, anyways, uh, Keegan's been on quite the losing streak, I think, up until this point. And I think just about everybody counted him out as even being a competitive team week to week. And I think Sean, well, he made re- uh, some big moves this past week, which I know we're going to get into later, uh, moving two of his biggest pieces, Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins, for some valuable running backs, um, plus a receiver in Godwin. And I think Sean's thought process when making those moves did not factor Keegan in. I think he was thinking, well, I know I'm not going to have Montgomery this week. um, And I know Robinson has uh, a tough matchup with Pittsburgh, but that shouldn't factor. Like that's not going to play a role this week. Like I'm going to, I'm going to beat Keegan. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. And he was just planning for the future. But surprise, surprise, Keegan comes knocking, says, suck my balls, and boom. <laughs> he takes the week's victory. <laughs> he did. Definitely was uh, a shock to me that his team uh, beat Sean's. And, you know, that puts Sean's team in a really tough position to make the playoffs, whereas I think he was sitting pretty well off, uh, considering if he was going to win this week. But now um, – you know, he's going to have to, I think, have two weeks or close to two weeks of uh, winning both matchups, if not having some help to make it into the playoffs, um, where before just a few weeks ago, he was in that top three or four team range. And I know we're going to get into it later, so I'll just say for now, his next few matchup matchups over the next few weeks do not look good. They don't really look in his favor, so it's going to be pretty, pretty challenging, especially after losing this week, to make a run back into the playoffs. 
Yeah, I agree. I had Keegan versus Sean as well. This one was, you know, I, you said a lot of the things that I was thinking. This was a truly shocking upset for me as I did not expect Keegan to even pick up one more win this season. I kind of thought that Keegan, as soon as he got eliminated, I thought that his lineup being locked at that point was not strong enough to beat any other team. And so I thought it was a foregone conclusion that anyone who played Keegan was getting a win that week. But I will say, because this is the first thought that I had in the aftermath of Sean losing, um, you know, despite him putting up a disappointing performance and dropping only 95.1 points, uh, that it wouldn't have made a difference if he had Murray and Hopkins and Jonathan Taylor as well in his lineup over Matt Stafford, Chris Godwin, and James Robinson. Because I was kind of curious, right, to see if if he would have won if he retained those guys and played them. But, you know, you mentioned Sean wasn't necessarily making this move with an eye toward, or making the move with me with an eye toward this week, which was a mistake. And to an extent, yeah, you could argue that. But I actually calculated it. Sean would have barely put up 100 points even with, those guys in his lineup. So ultimately it wouldn't have mattered for him, which is, I think that says more about just a really disappointing week for Sean's team overall than it does about the trade that he made. Um, but here, let me put it into context, kind of how shocking that upset was. So Sean scored 95.1, right? Well, Keegan's team has been averaging 88.78 points per week over his last three matchups. So by that logic, even in a terrible week for Sean's lineup, he technically still should have put up enough to beat Keegan's team the way it had been performing recently. Um, but unfortunately for Sean, his worst week by far, almost by 30 points compared to the rest of his you know, weekly performances this season, coincided with one of Keegan's best performances over the last month. So that's just really unfortunate for Sean. And as you mentioned before, this makes Sean's chances of a playoff berth very murky. Um, and he actually does not control his own fate anymore. That's now, you know, out of the three guys that are alive fighting for that six seed at the bottom, Jake, Damon, and Sean, Damon is the one that controls his own fate and not the other two. We'll talk more about that shortly. But yeah, definitely not a great look for Sean dropping a loss to Keegan this week. What did you have for most shocking outcome if you did have something different? So do you want me to share about that or there's breaking news on a trade that just took place or do you want to wait to talk about that? I didn't even see it, but we can wait and push it to the end of our trade segment so that I can actually update it. In Sounds here. good. Go ahead. So the most shocking outcome, uh, this is, I tried to lean away from a result of a matchup and look more towards just how an individually or individual team performed. Um, because I think most of the rest of the outcomes, aside from Sean and Keegan, weren't too surprising in my mind. So uh, looking at what the most shocking outcome to me, I think it's Scott's team. Scott's team last week did not uh, have even 100 points. And this week, it was okay. It was just over 146 points. But I think to me, I consider that a shock because so often, at least recently, it has been referred to as a super team. And to me, in back-to-back -back weeks, under 100 points and not even reaching 150 points the next week does not qualify to me as a super team. And I think there's chinks in his armor. And I know we're going – well, maybe we won't get into his trades that just took place 
literally, I think today or yesterday, we might not get into that this podcast, but I think that may have even caused more, um, you know, more chinks in his armor for making those specific trades as well. Um, I, I still think Scott's team is good enough to win. I just don't really consider his team a super team at this point, especially seeing two weeks back to back, having the struggles he's had. Sure. That's, that's a fair pick. Um, I actually had as my most shocking outcome, your matchup with Jake. So while your team held steady around the 140 point mark, which, you know, for me, I've kind of determined that that's my baseline measure as to whether a team quote unquote deserves a win or not. Maybe it should be about 150 actually based on the higher scores. We're seeing the top teams in our league put up week after week, you know, in recent times, but Jake's team absolutely blew the matchup wide open with a near 200 point performance. Uh, It's kind of ironic that I chose this as my most shocking outcome because I've mentioned before on numerous occasions that this is the kind of caliber I expected Jake's team to rise to, but to see it materialize against our top seeded team, you know, your team, Nick has, you know, it has to make some of us at the top of the standings a little bit nervous that if Jake were to sneak into the playoffs, certainly for those that don't get that first round by his, his team could pull off a first round upset. For sure. You know, yeah, I, I, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to, I was just going to finish up by saying that if, even if it doesn't make those of us sitting up here comfortably nervous, it should definitely worry the teams on the fringe. And I'm talking about Damon and Sean as Jake clearly showed, his team has what it takes to win out and potentially capture that last playoff spot. Go ahead, Nick. And I was just going to say, I wasn't totally shocked that I lost to Jake. Um, he has a good lineup, and I think my lineup currently can win most of any matchup, but it, I don't, wouldn't consider myself favored. And every matchup, there's definitely teams I would consider myself the underdog, even being the top seed, uh, until I get, I'm hoping to get Christian McCaffrey back. I think that really helps my team. And that's what I'm anticipating. But until he comes back, I definitely anticipated taking losses. But yeah, the shocking part is not my, or Jake beating my team, but how he did it. His team really performed uh, super well. So it's props to his team, how he's managed it. He's a good manager. Um, and yeah, it showed this past week. Yeah. And as an honorable mention, it was kind of a cop out to put, put it here but i did put sean versus keegan as the most shocking outcome honorable mention just because again that was such a surprise to me that keegan i was kind of watching it you know after thursday night football after tyler lockett put up a pretty good game thinking okay you know brought keegan's projection pretty close to sean's but sean will probably put him away this weekend and then as the weekend unfolded you know it kept getting closer and closer to sean's time running out to start to bring the score up and then at the end, I just thought, wow, Keegan actually did it. So it, it really surprised me. So I thought it kind of deserved an extra shout out here as my honorable mention for most shocking outcome. Yeah, I think that was uh, picture perfect for both categories, the biggest upset and most shocking. Um, yeah, good to mention. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll lead us into the next just brief segment of just mentioning the top three standings update. And the top three standings, they haven't changed. You have Nate, the 99 club, sitting at the number three spot, which you were there last week, and you picked up another win this week, so you maintain that spot. Scott, helmet in the bush, is at eight and three. He is still sitting at the number two spot, and I am also at the number one spot at eight and three uh, still. 
and just having the tiebreaker head-to-head win over Scott when we had that big battle of the Titans. What was that last week? I mean, just outrageous scores taking place with that matchup. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, with that, let's talk about a little bit of a playoff preview. I know it's a little early, but I did want to kind of start as we're winding down the season and, you know, playoff berths are being clinched or the hunt for a buy or a hunt for a last playoff spot is getting really close. I kind of wanted to do a deeper dive and lay out what's at stake for, you know, all the teams that are still in it. So first, let's start with our guys that have clinched playoff berths already. That's you, Nick, and that's Scott, with both of you having eight and three records. The fantasy football team and the helmet in the bush with only two weeks left to go. You know, there's only six total teams left in our league who can accumulate eight wins by season's end. Um, And that's just based on everyone's record and with the number of games left to be played. So since there are only six teams left that can possibly get to eight or more wins by the end of the year, and you two already have, you know, you two are two of those teams that already have eight wins, that means it is not possible for you guys to get bumped out of the playoffs at this point. So while you currently sit at, you know, the number one and number two seeds, the seeding, on the other hand, is still far from over. So that kind of takes us into the next part of what I wanted to discuss here, which is those that are in the hunt for a first-round buy. And that, of, that is, of course, you and Scott. But you guys are also joined by myself, Eddie, and JC. <clears throat> so each of those five teams that I just mentioned has either seven or eight wins with, of course, two weeks left in the regular season. And while Nick appears to be in the best spot to finish the season tied in record with other teams near the top. So what I'm talking about there is if Nick were to be nine and four and there were two or three other teams that also finished nine and four, it kind of appears like you would be best positioned to be tied with other teams in record because you've gotten really big head to head wins over each of me, Eddie and Scott. However, I actually don't expect our first tiebreaker, which is that head to head record to play a part in breaking a tie between three or more teams with the same record at season's end, because let me give you an example of how it currently is working right now, me, Eddie and JC are in a three-way tie in terms of record for third place. We're, we're each seven and four. While the first tiebreaker again is head to head record, it defaults to the second tiebreaker, which is total points for because Eddie has beaten me. I've beaten JC and JC has beaten Eddie. So it's kind of this circle, right? And so it defers to the second tiebreaker. Now, here's a potential example that I threw in just to say that even though you've gotten pretty big wins against, you know, like I said, me, Eddie, and Scott, you might not necessarily have the one seed on that first tiebreaker if we're all tied in record because, here's my example, if Nick ties in record with me, Scott, and JC, I don't believe that the first tiebreaker would be used on account of JC having that head-to-head record tiebreak over you and Scott but then also me having it over JC and you and Scott having it over me. You kind of see that there's this cat's cradle of different people having that head-to-head tiebreaker record over each other. And so what I think ESPN is going to do at that point is defer to the second tiebreaker, which is total points for. So I don't necessarily expect, again, even though we have set head-to-head tie head-to-head record as our first tiebreaker, I kind of expect it to go to the second tiebreaker. But what I wanted to give a 
you know, a good picture of is what the remaining schedules are for each of those teams. So what I did was I ranked them and this was subjective for me, right? I just kind of went through and measured who I thought was easiest or hardest left to go on everybody's schedule. So you can definitely chime in and let me know if you, you agree or disagree, Nick. I had myself with the easiest schedule remaining. I'm playing Lucas this week and Sean next week. I have oh, Jay. Go ahead. I was just going to add, uh, if you didn't see, Sean has Keenan Allen now. I did see that. I don't necessarily think that I would change that. Well, probably not. Anyways, I don't mean to interrupt you too much there. No, no, no. You're okay. Uh, I did see that. Yeah, Sean, Nick said that we should talk about the breaking news a couple minutes ago. That was, of course, you guys will see it. You guys will have seen it by the time you're listening to this episode. But JC and Sean made a trade where Sean got Keenan Allen, JC got DJ Moore, and David Montgomery. We'll get back to that shortly. Yeah, sorry but about that. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. It definitely makes my matchup with Sean a little bit tougher because for those that you know don't necessarily pay attention to the other matchups besides their own, Sean was going to be without both DJ Moore and Chris Godwin in week 13 when we were supposed to play originally. Now, obviously, he dumped DJ Moore, who was going to be on bye for that matchup, and got a top three wide receiver in Keenan Allen. So it definitely makes yeah, it a little that, bit more interesting. Yeah, that really helps when he's in kind of must-win position both weeks. Yeah. I don't, you know, knee-jerk reaction. I think I would still keep myself as the easiest schedule, but let's let's talk about the too. rest of them. Yeah, I would too. You can go, go on ahead. Second easiest schedule I have is JC, Ambush the Manbush. He's playing Scott which should be a tough matchup. But then on the back half of that, he's playing Keegan, which should be the lightest matchup in the league. Third, I have Scott, the helmet in the bush, who's playing JC and then playing Lucas, which again, Lucas is also a light matchup. And I was kind of trying to decide who to give the easier schedule nod to between JC and Scott. And my tiebreaker was that I think Keegan has a weaker team than Lucas. So I kind of gave it to JC there. Fourth hardest schedule, Eddie Ironman snap. He's playing you, Nick, and then he's playing Jake in week 13. And then you, I have as the hardest schedule out of us five fighting for that first round by you're playing Eddie this week and then Damon next week. So I kind of think, you know, in the same way that that two and three is a little bit of a toss up between JC and Scott, I think that the four and five is also a little bit of a toss up between you and Eddie. But I think that you kind of have a rougher end of year schedule what are your thoughts i don't disagree and i uh when initially i was looking at this looking at the doc i didn't have any disagreement uh to the whole uh list but i think now i actually lean towards eddie possibly having a tougher schedule i think uh him facing myself i think he's favored though i think it's a very good chance that he could lose this matchup with myself that, uh, this week. And I do think Jake's team is better than Damon's, in my opinion. So I think that's a tougher matchup than me going against Damon. Um, but, you know, that's a toss-up and just arguing fine points like you pointed out. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely flip a coin there. Um, that brings us to the last three guys that are still in the hunt for a playoff spot. And they are specifically you know, presumably aiming for that six seed. That's Damon, Sean, and Jake. So as I mentioned earlier, Damon is the only one of this group that controls his own playoff fate as winning out would clinch him a playoff berth regardless of anything else that happens. So what I did was, to my best knowledge, I tried to kind of put together 
the very straightforward paths to play to a playoff berth for each of these three teams. And I might've missed some really weird scenario, but I think I covered the main ones. So here it is for Damon. This is what he needs to do in order to clinch a playoff berth. Option number one, he can just win his last two games. And like I just mentioned, he'll get a playoff spot no matter what happens if he just wins his last two games. Option number two for Damon, he can only win one of his last two games, but that win would have to come against Sean and Jake would have to lose one of his remaining two games. The third option for Damon is that he could go one, you know, one and one losing to Sean and Jake loses a game and Damon doesn't get outscored by more than 59.25 points by Sean. And so the, the oddity of that last one is that Sean and Damon have actually already played each other this year and Damon has one win over Sean. So if Sean were to beat him this time around, they would have a head to head record split. And at that point between the two of them, it would go to the points for tiebreaker, which Damon has a 59.26 point lead over Sean right now. So that's why that's kind of specific. But again, Damon has three ways to get into the playoffs. One of them controlling his own fate by winning out. The other two, um, he could take a loss, but he needs one or two other things to happen if he does so. For Sean, here's what he needs to do in order to grab a playoff spot. First option, he needs to win out and outscore Damon by 59.27 points. So again, he'd be tying that head-to-head record tiebreaker with Damon by you know splitting their two head-to-head matchups one-to-one. And then again, he has to catch up to Damon by putting up 59.27 more points than him over these last two weeks. The second option is Sean winning out and Damon losing out. And then that brings us to Jake. So his, you know, he kind of needs a lot of help here being the team with a four, I'm sorry, five and six record. He needs to win out and Damon beat Sean and Damon loses to Nick. I don't think that's too unlikely, to be honest. I think that scenario can likely happen. It could, it could. But, you know, I kind of left out the caveat here because I didn't want this, this segment to be too long, but... What actually happens in that scenario, I believe, is that it would then go to a points four tiebreaker. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think that's what would happen. I do know that Jake has a win over Damon. So if those two are tied in record come year end, then Jake, I think, has that head-to-head tiebreaker. But that would be also if Sean was not tied with them as well. The second option for Jake to enter the playoffs would be winning out and Damon loses out and Sean loses to me. Um, which again, not totally impossible, but Jake, I think needs the most help of the three in addition to winning the games that he has to play. You have anything to, you know, comment on those playoff berth scenarios? Cause I'm going to get into their schedules as well, but no, I'll let you get into their schedules. I don't have any more comments. Okay. Uh, I did the same thing with these guys as I did for the five of us in the hunt for a first round buy. I ranked their remaining schedules easiest to hardest. For the easiest schedule, I have Damon. Odell's a number two receiver. He is playing Sean this week and then playing you next week. It's kind of funny uh, to hear myself say that because I actually might flip Damon and Jake now that Sean has Keenan Allen. But nonetheless, that's how I wrote it out in preparing for this, so I'll stick with that for now. Second 
hardest or easiest, however you want to say it, schedule out of the three is Jake Rick Flair drip, who is playing Kyron this week and then Eddie next week. Like I mentioned, I might move that up to the easiest schedule, but it's really tough to do that because, of course, the matchup with Eddie is going to be really tough. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I was looking at originally. Firepower. If his players hit, he has the firepower to get, to get up there and beat Eddie for sure. I yeah. Mean, it, was, it just was shown he was the highest scoring team this week, almost reaching 200 points. Right, right. He definitely has what it takes. Um, and then the last one, Sean, who I think has the hardest schedule remaining, it's versus Damon and then versus me. I don't know if you agree, disagree, have anything to add there, but that's how I rank those guys. Yeah, no, I don't have any strong opinions that would change those those three easy to hard schedules. Perfect. Why don't, since, you know, I've been talking quite a bit <laughs> here in the last couple of minutes, why don't you take us into the weekly matchup preview and give us your best matchup for the week ahead? Okay, best matchup for Thanksgiving week. Uh, I believe there's a few to choose from from here. There's a few good matchups. Uh, the closest matchup as far as projected points scored is actually Keegan versus Michael. But I don't think anyone's really paying attention to that matchup other than maybe those two. Well, maybe just Michael. I don't think Keegan's really – I don't know. I'm not sure if he cares at this point. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to bypass that. That might be the most competitive, just looking at the two rosters competing against one another this week. But bypassing that, looking at um, my selection of best matchup of the week, I'm going to pick uh, Scott versus JC. Um, and, you know, at this point, we're all kind of still, I guess, waiting to see what Scott plans to do with his streaming quarterback scenario since he just gave up and part of a deal, Russell Wilson to Eddie. And he added Gardner Minshew to his roster, but Gardner is not going to play this week. And Mike Lennon's been named the starter. And so I'm not sure if he has to add Mike Lennon or if he, if Glenn or if uh, Minshew gets ruled out, if he's able to add another starter, I'm not really sure what his options, what he's able to do, but I'm guessing that he might go for Danny Dimes, Dan, uh, Dan Daniel Jones for the Giants, since he has a fav favorable matchup and a running upside. And if he adds him to his roster, then he has uh, the projected score edge over JC. And though I'm not really sure exactly what that will turn out to be with JC now losing Keenan Allen but then bringing in Montgomery and DJ Moore, we'll kind of see how that plays out. Um, I still think that's going to be one of the best matchups of the week. I favor Scott. I think Scott is going to pull off the win. And I had in my notes, um, JC, his biggest potential to beat Scott is his heavy hitters, Dalvin Cook and Keenan Allen, but he no longer has Keenan Allen to my point. And in my opinion, who he gained to replace Allen at the wide receiver slot, DJ Moore, I was going to kind of talk about him later. He's been coming on lately, but he's been kind of very boomer bust throughout the season. So we'll see how he does um, come this sun or come this weekend against Scott's team. Yeah, he does. And I'm relatively excited to talk about that trade that JC and Sean just made, because I think uh, it accomplished what both of them were looking to do. So I'll save that for when we talk about it, but I actually also had JC versus Scott. Um, it was a pretty easy pick for me, you know, going for a good chunk of the marbles here. JC is trying to knock Scott out of a top two seed this week in their head to head matchup. And if JC were to beat Scott while I lost to Lucas, he would not only claim a top two seed, but he would actually have a shot at overtaking you for the one seed. If you were to lose to Eddie this week. Now, on the other hand, if Scott wins, he will all but guarantee a first round buy for himself with only Lucas remaining on his schedule beyond this week. 
I'm personally rooting for JC to win this matchup as it gives my team the best shot at securing a first round bye on account of me having a head to head win over JC. But I honestly couldn't tell you who will come out on top in this matchup. Um, this is definitely the matchup I'm most excited to watch this weekend because, you know, of course, we saw it with Sean and Keegan, nothing is a foregone conclusion, but I am expecting to beat Lucas this week. And so long as JC and I maintain the same record, and of course, again, I'm rooting for both of us to keep winning, I will have the edge on JC because we've played head-to-head. I've beaten him. But even if that didn't tie-break us, JC has actually beaten a lot of the big teams that I've lost to. And so he kind of nullifies that head-to-head record tiebreaker that the big teams have over me. And then it goes to total points scored, which I have the edge on everyone currently. So I'm rooting for JC. Should be super close. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. I'm going to turn around and give you my worst matchup of the week, which you, uh, I think you, you were kind of talking about the stats, but you mentioned it as the potential best matchup or most closely matched matchup of the week. Mine is <laughs> Keegan versus Mike. Uh, while Mike put up a strong effort of 160 points against Eddie, he fell just short of keeping his season alive and could not avoid getting eliminated from the playoffs. And because of that, there are absolutely zero playoff implications tied to this matchup, <laughs> making it my worst matchup of the week by default as nothing from this matters. So what do you have, Nick? Oh, great. Now I can talk about my true worst matchup. I thought you were going to select this as far as one team just having a, being a much bigger favorite than the other. And to me, that's Jake's team over Kyron's Rick Flair drip versus Wentz equals go. I think Jake's team, in my opinion, is heavily favored in this matchup. And he's riding a little bit of a win streak and Kyron's riding a little bit of a, a losing streak and he's the lowest team on the standings totem pole. Um, to me, looking at the rosters, I think Jake definitely wins this week over Kyron's team. Uh, I'll add the honorable mention I had for worst matchup was you versus Lucas. I think that you, despite Lucas, I think uh, being better than I think uh, what people expect his team to produce. I think his team is better than what their record for sure is. Um, he has a pretty solid lineup with guys like Lamar Jackson, Antonio Gibson, Miles Sanders, Deontay Johnson, Amari Cooper, uh, Cooper and Ronald Jones. Now some of those guys are big boomer bust guys, but some of those guys have been turning into pretty consistent producers. Um, that makes you at least think that he can compete with Nate's team, but as long as your team's healthy, Nate, I think that you're going to cruise to a win, though I will add, just doing a quick look tonight, you have guys, a lot of guys like Kyler Murray, Devontae yeah. Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, and Terry McLaurin, all are questionable, uh, and though it's Wednesday night that we're recording this, there's still a lot of week to get those guys healthy and on the field, and I think a good bit, if not all of them, will play. It still is a little eye, you know, eyebrow raise and looking at four big studs in your lineup that are questionable heading into the week. Um, but I still, you know, think your team is pretty heavily favored. Yeah, and I noticed that just a little bit before we started recording that a bunch of my guys were questionable, and I was thinking, what the hell? Like, where did this come from that six guys all of a sudden have a questionable tag? But I kind of read the quick little news bits on all of them. Nothing, None of them seem super serious or in danger of missing their games this weekend, so I don't, I don't anticipate um, having to take out and replace those guys in the lineup, but you know, we'll see. Anything could happen. Sure. Uh, most important matchup. Or I kind of my... want you to go first. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I'll give you mine, and then we'll see if you have the same. My pick is Sean versus Damon. 
I think I'm, I'm going to guess and say you went a different direction, but my reasoning for picking Sean versus Damon is with a potential playoff spot on the line, Sean and Damon are battling to see who can set themselves up to win out and route to that sixth and final playoff spot in our upcoming bracket. And if Damon wins, Sean will be officially eliminated from the playoffs, you know, taking his seventh loss. But if Sean wins, he will keep a season alive with a chance to stamp his postseason berth in the 13th and final week of the season against me. Um, I know that Jake will be closely watching this matchup as his best chance at a playoff spot will likely be Damon eliminating Sean again, followed by you beating Damon. So all in, that's all in combination with Jake, of course, winning his last two matchups. So that's why I picked that as my most important matchup. I think three teams have a heavy stake in this matchup right here. What do you got? That's a good one. And that was one of two I selected. So I won't really talk about it too much because you covered a lot of the points I had of why it was the most important matchup though. I'll add now that Sean has the addition of Keenan Allen. I think that gives him, you know, finally, since Hopkins and Murray left, he gives he gets one big name in his lineup that is a heavy producer that has a really high ceiling. Um, And he's been pretty consistently performing, you know, to that high level. And I think that pushes his team to maybe be a slight favorite when you look at Damon's team. To me, there's a lot of question marks with guys in his roster. And when I say question marks, I'm talking about DeAndre Swift. What's his health like heading into this week? Matt Ryan, will he have, have Julio Jones? Because he certainly does not produce well when Julio Jones is not on the field. Robbie Anderson is dropping off. I don't think he's been a top 30 wide receiver in like five or six weeks and then you have Hayden Hurst coming off a zero catch, zero point week. He, he was a gooser last week. He had zero points to add to Damon's team. And then you have the whole Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds scenario. Who are you going to start? Who are you going to play? Who's going to produce? I don't really know. Those are a lot of questions to me about Damon's roster that make me concerned for his team. And Sean adding a key piece, I think, makes him favored for that matchup. I said I was going to talk about a few points, but that turned into more to what I wanted to share. Um, I was prepared to share about that more because one of my more important matchups I was initially selecting was my own with Eddie. And I just didn't really want to talk about my own team playing against another, but I do think it's an important matchup um, with Eddie's team riding a five game win streak. I'm coming off a loss and having a few down weeks. Like it's no, it's no secret. My team has not been performing. I think you pointed out to me, like you love, (laughs) you love to point out. I think sometimes more often than most when my team's not performing well and yeah my team I guess uh points wise has not been been performing well and I still don't have CMC in my lineup Um, but despite that I think it's going to be a very competitive matchup and it could have a big shakeup in the standings or big help or big indication on what those kind of top three standings or seeds where they will go depending on who wins this matchup am I going to be able to maintain a top two maybe top three seed or is Eddie going to creep his way in there I think this matchup will kind of pave the path for both teams yeah and I don't know about you but typically as as the fantasy season winds down I kind of am my mind goes to an over analytical state thinking you know if this happens what am I going to have to do if that happens what's what position is my team going to be in you know trying to heavily root for one outcome to happen over another that I have none of us have control over fantasy outcomes of course but I'm talking about other matchups that my team is not playing in but this year man I've just been enjoying how the way that our playoff bracket is going to look 
is really just coming down to the wire. You know, we're in the second to last week of the regular season, and I fully expect um, that the first two seeds, you know, I'm talking about the first round buys for our top two teams. I don't expect both of those to get locked up this week. So I do expect there to be some drama in the last week of our regular season, as well as I don't expect both Jake and Sean to lose this weekend, giving Damon that sixth and final guaranteed playoff spot. So I have been enjoying, you know, kind of the nail biter finish that our regular season seems to be headed toward. I don't know about you, but in years past, I've been a little bit nervous watching kind of the end of the season unfold this year. I'm just sitting back and really enjoying how every week is just super important to kind of everybody in the league that's still in it. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been fun. Yes, sir. So let's get into a staple in our podcast, talking about trades that have happened throughout the week. We're going to give you the recent trades since last episode and as well give you our gut reactions on those trades. So leading off with the first one since last episode, I gave up Derek Carr, TJ Hawkinson, and Miami's defense slash special teams. Michael gave up Drew Brees, Jameis Winston, and Darren Waller. What was your initial reaction to that, Nick? Initial reaction. um, I thought that Mike should have held on to Waller specifically. If you want to move those other pieces, uh, not a big deal. And I know to your argument that Hawkinson was close in points to Waller, but as, I don't know, a fantasy player that's been playing for quite some time, you can kind of see when a player really has that athletic prowess to continue to keep their ceiling high over a long period of time. And I think Waller definitely has that over Hawkinson. And to me, he's one of two tight ends that make a huge difference in the lineup, him and Kelsey with uh, Kittle out. So to me, that was my initial reaction. I didn't really have a strong opinion on who won or lost. But when I saw Waller in the deal, I thought, oh, man, that's a piece I would not have moved. Sure. And to be fair to TJ Hawkinson, I think that he is a consistent performer every week. But unfortunately, I think that for my liking, his performance was a little bit too much tied to how Matt Stafford performed in any given week. Whereas I think no matter what kind of game Derek Carr has, that Darren Waller is giving you solid tight end one production every single week. And so even though they were, I think before this past week, they were total in total, they were separated by six points on the whole season. So they were really, really close Until uh, this last week, right before this past week, um, yeah. which is what I mentioned. I know you did. Uh, But like I mentioned again, I think that TJ Hawkinson's production is a little bit more tied to the quarterback play than Darren Waller's. So I was excited to get Darren Waller and I kind of, kind of took a shot on Drew Brees being hurt. You know, I was just hoping that Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, obviously we learned that Taysom Hill was going to be the true backup to Drew Brees I was just kind of hoping that they would be good and that Drew Brees would eventually come back but I'm definitely feeling good about it now after Taysom Hill's debut game we'll talk about Taysom Hill actually a little bit later this episode surprisingly you know the backup quarterback we're going to get him in here before the episode's over nice so the next trade of the week uh, not trade of the week but the next trade that happened this week was Sean giving up DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray 
and me giving up Matthew Stafford, James Robinson, David Montgomery, and Chris Godwin. So we actually had a lot of really big trades this week, but I still, you know, kind of view this one as the biggest one that happened. There's a lot of moving pieces here. What do you think when it happened, Nick? I thought, again, on paper, I guess it can look like fairly even, but I thought when you have two big names and DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, that one person's giving up and the other person's gaining, I almost automatically think that person's winning the trade. Kyler Murray's lowest uh, lowest performance week-wise uh, was, I think, QB 11 on the entire year. He is the most consistent, um, arguably the most consistent fantasy player period. And then you have a huge high ceiling wide receiver and DeAndre Hopkins that you're gaining to go with them. Um, I mean, to me that, I mean, those are two huge pieces. I would have a hard time giving up both, maybe one to get, bring some, some value in, but I was definitely shocked when I saw Sean give up both of those. Cause those are two players, especially Hopkins. I was asking him about, cause I thought for sure there was no way he was moving Kyler Murray. Yeah, in my mindset heading into this negotiation, when Sean kind of put the league on notice and told me that he was talking to everybody that was still involved in a playoff hunt, that he was potentially trading one or both of these guys, my mindset was, you know, for all of my Avengers fans out there, that movie, The Avengers Endgame, whatever it takes, right? I was uh, kind of negotiating with Sean for like two days straight, talking about types of players he was interested in, talking about out of all the big players on my roster, which ones would he be targeting? And so, you know, at first it kind of just became apparent that James Robinson was going to be the big guy that I would have to move for him. And then after that, it was going to be, it was mostly about what were the complementary pieces that I would have to give up. And would there be any complementary pieces to those big two guys that I got from Sean coming back my way? Sure. And that final trade that you see now that went through uh it actually didn't get proposed until about five minutes before the trade got accepted because originally i was also going to get back the indianapolis colts backfield um nothing else about the trade would change i would just get those two guys as well and sean was kind of deeply considering that for a few hours and then when he finally said no i decided to take one last shot to see if it would change his mind and i just said you know what keep the running backs. I'll just take your wide receiver and your quarterback if you want to do that trade. And it got him. He said deal. So I was ecstatic when that happened. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I got to add one more note. I still can't believe, despite taking in needs that he needed with running back, looking at the schedule, it was like Stafford's inconsistent. James Robinson has been great. He's a great value, but he has a very tough fantasy playoff matchup ahead. Um, but I know Sean still needs to get there. So that helps him get there. Montgomery, you mentioned that he's a top 20 running back. I, I think to me, he's just like your baseline. If you need 10, 12 points, great. He's going to get it to you, but he's not going to really put up more numbers in my opinion, much more than that 10 to 15 range range. And Chris Godwin, I think most of everybody in the league is pretty uncomfortable with rostering confidently a Tampa Bay wide receiver. Um, so I just kind of, almost want to give more thought on how I think this definitely favored you. Yeah. To, to give a nod to Chris Godwin, I think he's being underrated too much at this point because he's actually put up pretty damn good performances in each of the two weeks that Antonio Brown has been involved in Tampa Bay's offense. So, well, actually that first game, I know he scored seven points, but that was also a terrible game overall for the Buccaneers. They scored three points. 
So in the games where they look normal on offense, he's put up two very good performances. So I think at this point, um, you know, he's definitely not, I don't think he has the same value as he did before Antonio Brown signed, but it certainly did not drop his production in real life too much. Um, I guess it remains to be seen if the, you know, it'll play out that way every single week moving forward. But so far, I think that Chris Godwin is kind of building back up those expectations that you had for him from before, you know, without Antonio Brown in that offense. But, you know, I completely understand your points as well. Yeah. I will just add one final note. Even if Godwin's consistently performing well, he will not be available to Sean in his last week. He gave up Hopkins as a wide receiver to you that he'll have to now face. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure if it came up. Yeah. I'm not even sure if that came up when we were talking about it, but we will, uh, that might've been a key point he overlooked. Um, but we can move on from that trade. I mean, I can see, I can see why I made that trade. I'll leave it at that. Am I echoing too much? Cause I had to move rooms now. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. It's not, it's not a huge deal, but I definitely noticed the difference. I think maybe I can make one more move while, um, you're transitioning to the next trade. I think I can do that well while still being okay in the house of a sleeping three-year-old. Okay. The next trade that we have was a trade that you made, Nick. You gave up Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, Jarvis Landry, and I think it's Hakeem Grant. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mike gave up Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Will Fuller V, and Brashad Perryman. My initial thought on this trade war was that it was pretty even on both sides. Um, Mike got the better running back. I think even with the downgrade in Zeke's value that he is still better than Clyde Edwards-Alaire because of Le'Veon Bell's presence in Kansas City now, but not by a whole lot. Um, Certainly not enough that are certainly not by so much that Will Fuller needed to bridge that gap. But I also recognize that Jarvis Landry was a part of the trade. So that's kind of why I see the scales is mostly even here because I think Landry is a fine flex play. So I think that you got a little bit more of what you needed from this deal and getting Fuller, because I know that your wide receiver situation outside of Allen Robinson wasn't a sure thing every week. But I also think that Mike was excited to get that big-time player in Ezekiel Elliott to try to make that final playoff push and win out. And so I think he got what he wanted from this deal as well. So I can't call him a loser, but I certainly think, and it's kind of obvious to say just based on the way that the age is traded, or the trade has aged, that you got what you needed for your team in a bigger way than he did. Sure. Yeah, I don't think um, too much about this trade as there being a winner or loser, like he's like everything that you mentioned, I agree with. Um, Mike got a better running back. Uh, I got a better wide receiver than what he gave up. I think Jarvis Landry was expected to do a little bit better, having a better um, better game than he had this, this past week, but I'll add it was a bad weather game. So maybe he will produce. Um, but yeah, I don't really have too much to add about it. Uh, I enjoy my end. And at the same time, I don't see it as a huge winning trade for myself. Next one we had, a lot of big trades this week, because the next one is another big one. Scott gave up Russell Wilson and Julio Jones. Eddie gave up Alvin Kamara, Cole Beasley, and Antonio Brown. So I will go ahead and share that I don't know if Eddie intended to do this, 
or if I'm being a little bit arrogant here, but I think that Eddie played a little bit of copycat here and kind of saw my move with Sean and thought that the best way to match the elevation in my team's talent would be to go out and do almost the exact same thing. And so he kind of reached out to Scott to try to make that happen by putting Kamara publicly on the block. I don't know if he did that, but that's certainly what it looks like. I think Eddie, originally I thought this was a very even trade because I was thinking um, that not only did Eddie give up Kamara, but he gave up the guy that would replace his starter, Alvin Kamara, in the lineup overall. Of course, Cole Beasley's not replacing Kamara, but Josh Jacobs, who was playing in the flex, would slide up into that running back position, and I was thinking Cole Beasley would then slide up into that flex spot that Josh Jacobs was taking up himself. What I neglected to see was, or factor in rather, was that Eddie was getting Julio Jones back. So now Julio Jones is actually sliding into one of those wide receiver slots and therefore making Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup both available to play in the flex because, of course, Eddie also has Tyree Kill at wide receiver. And so I think this was a great job done by Eddie to make sure that his lineup has no holes. He certainly has some weaknesses um, with you know tight end not being as strong as some of the top guys in the league, but I also wouldn't say that he has an absolute hole at tight end with Ingram and Ebron. We'll touch a little bit more on, you know, everybody's lineup specifically later, but that's just kind of my overall thoughts. I think Eddie did a great job of balancing out his entire lineup with really good players. Scott got, you know, one of the best players in fantasy in Alvin Kamara. So I can't say that he is a loser in this trade, but he certainly exposed himself by giving up Russell Wilson here. What did you think? Yeah, I, what you shared is kind of the way I saw it from the get-go. And I remember we were talking about it and I think you were definitely leaning more, like you mentioned at the beginning of this trade, it being far more even than the way I saw it. I definitely thought, and I still think that Eddie is improving his team in a much bigger way than Scott's is. And Scott's taking a risk losing Russell Wilson, now having to stream a quarterback, even with him gaining Camara, Camara's um, production and the opportunities he's had to even touch the ball. I think the past few games has gone down. And especially last game with Taysom Hill for the first time in his career, Camara had zero receptions. And you, you think, well, how the heck did that happen? Well, one, it's a new quarterback. And two, Taysom Hill is a mobile quarterback. Mobile quarterbacks typically don't dump the ball off to their, running back and breeze was not a mobile quarterback. He was a pocket quarterback. The pocket was collapsed and then he'd throw it to Camara. And so Camara would get a lot of receptions. Now I know breeze is coming back. So hopefully Camara's production goes back up, but he's also been dealing with a nagging foot injury. And, you know, it almost be helpful for Scott's team. If the saints would just say, you know what, we're going to have Camara rest for a week or two. And we're going to go full in on Latavius Murray because he also just gained Latavius Murray in a deal that Scott and I just did tonight. And I think that would be more helpful for Scott's team to know who to play rather than it being, is Kamara going to play, but have to split more reps than typical because he's dealing with a foot injury. And then both players become, you know, not fantasy irrelevant, but just kind of above average players. Whereas Kamara before was, you know, a fantasy MVP. He was playing at that level. And so I think it definitely puts his team at big risk heading into an important time of the year. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that I am personally going to be revisiting this a whole lot. So I do want to conclude 
uh, give some concluding thoughts on this trade. I, you mentioned earlier that we've been kind of building Scott up all year to be this juggernaut team. I think that this trade, and I don't want to paint it in a way that Scott is a loser because again, he got Alvin Kamara, which is a great player to have. Yeah. And he but can this, definitely have high upside later for sure. Right. But this trade, as I thought about it more, has completely shifted my thinking in the way that I view Scott's roster. I no longer see him as you know the number one or number two titan in the league i now see him as a team that has quite a few studs but also has one or two pretty big holes which i think we can say the same of maybe four or five teams in our league so now instead of scott being close to one of the untouchables in our league i think that now he's almost just one of the other guys at the top of the league that could win in any given week so that's kind of how i shifted my thinking as I thought about this move more, but, you know, give props to Eddie for escalating the, you know, the overall well-roundedness of his lineup. But as Scott shared with me in a private text conversation this week, part of the fun of fantasy football is taking risks. So I certainly can't blame him for wanting to get the big time. <laughs> I shared that back. exact line with him when he made this deal, because I was in trade negotiations with both him and Eddie when this deal happened. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I can't, I can't blame him for wanting to get the big time running back. Everybody wants, you know, one of the best running backs. Yeah. It's hard when football. you have, when you know you're in the running for a big name, it's hard to, not hard to pull away forward <laughs> to get it. Right. All right. Let's uh, get into the next one. It was a little bit smaller than the rest, but still, you know, some important names moving around here. Sean gave up Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Jake gave up DJ Moore, Washington defense, Cam Akers, and Daryl Henderson Jr. What were your initial thoughts? Um, I didn't have too big of an opinion on this. I thought this was uh, a trade that was definitely one. I, when I saw that, I thought, okay, then, and I moved on. Yeah, I knew that – well, actually, I did not know that this was coming. I knew that Jake was interested in Jonathan Taylor because Jake – surprisingly, after telling me last week that he didn't really plan on making too many more moves, if any – he came to me, I think it was yesterday, I believe this trade was made yesterday, and said, hey, are you interested in Justin Herbert? I said, well, yeah, of course I am. He said, well, I'm looking for a running back alongside Drew Brees that I would move Herbert for. I said, well, I don't really feel comfortable moving one of my big three running backs in Eckler, Chubb, or Hunt. What would you suggest to me in terms of running backs to target with some of my other pieces so that then I could come back to you and trade them to you with Drew Brees for Justin Herbert. Jonathan Taylor was one of the guys that he mentioned. And I thought that Sean might actually be willing to trade Jonathan Taylor to me. And then just through an unfortunate miscommunication, Jake uh, basically said that he was uninterested in making that trade for Jonathan Taylor with my involvement and I didn't realize it. So anyway, the way that it just played out, which is obviously the way that everybody sees it is Sean and Jake trading directly. So I was kind of bummed that, you know, I missed on my very slim, small window shot of getting Justin Herbert. But in the end, Jake still got the guy that he wanted in Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, apparently Sean was interested in getting a little bit more of a consistent wide receiver. And he got that in DJ Moore. So like you said, don't really got see any. <laughs> yeah, got it and gave it up. But I didn't really see anything too big in terms of one side winning or one side losing here. True. The, 
the next trade, which was the first of the night tonight, talking about Wednesday night, was you giving up Latavius Murray and Scott giving up Miles Gaskin. Yeah. Um, well, if you want me to comment, it's my own trade. And it was one that uh, we were talking about before, and I was kind of waiting to do the move with the line of thinking maybe Ahmed's going to be the guy moving forward, or at least for a while until Gaskin gets back. Um, and Murray's one of the most valued handcuffs, and Kamara's been dealing with an injury. So I didn't want to do it at first. And I was talking about possibly moving Ahmed elsewhere. Um, but anyways, yeah, the trade took place. I think it's definitely makes sense. It's even, it secures the backfield for both of us, for my, myself, for Miami and for Scott, for the saints. Um, and yeah, I'll tell you at least if you want intel on why I made the move, I made the move because I saw Ahmed just had an injury designation today. I don't think it's going to keep him out of the game, but then I saw Gaskin was coming back from IR and I, I knew that. But just seeing it, I think on paper makes you think, okay, I better just secure it. That's why I have the chance. So that's why I did it. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that any of the other 10 of us in your position would give up Latavius Murray for Miles Gaskin. So I think it was a more clear win for you, as I believe that Miles Gaskin is more important to the Miami backfield than Latavius Murray is to the New Orleans backfield. And as I shared in the group, an oversight on my part, on Kyron's part, really on everybody's part, because Kyron was not supposed to drop Latavius Murray. He was specifically included in Kyron's do not drop list for this reason or for the reason that maybe Camaro would get hurt later in the year and then Latavius Murray would become very valuable. Basically, I was just looking to prevent anybody from getting a free ride in value on Latavius Murray. But obviously, that's not your fault. That's not Scott's fault. Scott actually reached out to me and apologized and said, hey, I, you know, if Nick's okay with it, I actually don't mind if you just canceled the trade. I said, no, don't worry about that. It's not your fault. It's not Nick's fault. It was just an oversight on my part. And unfortunately, on Kyron not listening or maybe just not even reading my list of players that I sent to him when yeah, he got locked all those weeks ago. And I read the list, but I totally forgot myself that he was on there. And when I saw him drop, I didn't think anything of it other than I wanted to try to get him on my roster if I could. Yeah. And you actually have talked to me in detail about Latavius Murray over the past week. So obviously I had plenty of opportunity to remember, oh yeah, actually he was on Kyron's do not drop list. So you can keep him on your team, but don't trade him anywhere. I could have yeah, told so you that. It's, so it's not something that just a mistake. Hide. No worries. We're talking about it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the second trade of tonight. It's a big one. JC gave up Keenan Allen, Jacoby Myers and Gus Edwards. Sean gave up DJ Moore and David Montgomery. I love this trade for both sides, as I kind of hinted at earlier. Sean gets, a, gets the big wide receiver, and not just any big wide receiver. He gets a top three wide receiver in Keenan Allen, who I believe started the year off, I don't want to say slow, but certainly a lot slower than you would expect for a guy that is now wide receiver three here in week 12. So he has been steadily rising in value as Justin Herbert took over at quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. So Sean gets a big guy there, um, as you mentioned, that can make a huge impact in each of his last two matchups to try to buy that last playoff spot. On the other hand, though, I understand why JC made this trade. He had absolutely nobody for his second running back position. Maybe he had Gus Edwards just for this week alone on account of Mark Ingram 
and J.K. Dobbins testing positive for COVID and potentially not playing this Sunday versus the Steelers, which I'm very disappointed that the game got pushed back, by the way. But, you know, aside from a one-week rental, J.C. had nobody at the second running back position. So not only did he fill that up in, you know, you mentioned he's not an exciting running back, but David Montgomery is reliable. You know, that's why he's top 20 this far into the season. But he also got a pretty high ceiling wide receiver to replace Keenan Allen with. I know DJ Moore, like you mentioned before, has been up and down this year, but I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that he does have a high ceiling of course, it comes with the inherent risk that he might drop you six or seven points on any given week, but his upside certainly can come close to matching what Keenan Allen will give you, you know, every other week from his production. So I like the trade for both sides. I think this was not just an even trade. I think it was a great trade. Well, I kind of want to share an offer that I made, Justin, because I was in the running for Keenan Allen, too. And I think my offer was better. I'm not sure if maybe I should wait to share this with you after. No, um, you go ahead. Done. It doesn't really matter. Go ahead. Um, so you mentioned DJ Moore, David Montgomery for Keenan Allen, Gus Edwards, and Jacoby Myers. Um, JC needs needed a running back, and he wanted a, you know, a comparable uh, wide receiver, somebody in that wide receiver and wide receiver one two range. Mm-hmm. I offered. Uh, Allen Robinson and Clyde Edwards Hilaire for Keenan Allen and DJ Chark. Tell me what you would have done. That's a good question. Allen mm-hmm. Robinson is the better wide receiver. Uh, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a number 10 running back. I know that he's and ranked higher. I know that number 21 running back. So yeah, I do know that he's ranked higher. My hesitation uh, with Clyde four. hasn't changed since I've traded him away. But on the other hand, my hesitation is rooted in Le'Veon Bell's presence in Kansas City. But I know that JC owns Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. So, so that's a personal call of whether <laughs> you feel comfortable, more comfortable taking on the committee as a whole because you own the back, you know, the secondary back in that. One guy scored over 20 points last week. <laughs> yeah. JC was actually talking about Le'Veon Bell versus Clyde earlier in the week to me and I think I think I looked it up recently that they have like a 60 to 40 workload split talking about their touches Clyde Edwards Alaire and Le'Veon Bell so I think that that comes down to personal preference um, I think Allen Robinson is a clear clearly better wide receiver than DJ Moore oh, I think it and I think it's a little murky between Montgomery and Clyde. I might give, personally, I might give the edge to Montgomery because he doesn't have, you know, a second running back breathing down his neck, but it's certainly closer than Allen Robinson and DJ Moore is. Right about it. Cause I think Clyde's clearly better than Montgomery when Montgomery is 11 spots behind him. Clyde's a top 10 running back. And Montgomery's on a very bad offense. Clyde's on the best offense. So I look at I look at Montgomery and Clyde. More, but I think my offer was clearly better. I look at Montgomery and Clyde in a similar manner that I look at DJ Moore and Allen Robinson. And they're not as far apart, but David Montgomery is going to give you consistent production in the same way that Allen Robinson does. Clyde's going to give you a little bit more boomish, bustish production in a similar way that DJ Moore does. 
I think that the difference between the running backs is closer than the difference between the wide receivers, but that's how I view the situations. Sure. No, it's fair. It wasn't like when you look at the deal, it wasn't terrible, but I just have that in my mind because I was the other guy with that offer. So um, yeah, that was disappointing because I definitely, well, you heard my opinion, so I don't want to talk about it anymore. All right. That brings us to the last trade of the week, which also just happened here within like the last, 12 to 15 minutes JC getting active here at the end of our, you know, league trading window, JC gave up Christian Kirk and Alan Lazard and Jake gave up Tim Patrick, who by the way, was given a lot of grief earlier this year when I traded him in my deal for Nick Chubb and Chris Godwin. He's actually turned into, if you haven't looked anytime recently, he's turned into a legit, not just flex player, but he's turned into a legit flex one player. He's been putting up some really good numbers over the last five, I think, weeks. What did you think, if you haven't even gotten a chance to see this deal, now that you have, what are your initial thoughts? Um, I mean, looking at it now, I actually think, uh, I would say Jake has a better end of the stick, in my opinion. Uh, Tim Patrick, despite your high opinion, I think he is surprised he's done better than what we expected He's averaging just over 10 points. Christian Kirk in his own right is averaging almost 13 points. And then you have Alan Lazard coming back, coming um, possibly back into that number two role in the Packers offense where he was doing, I believe, fairly well at the beginning of the year and he's getting healthy. And uh, Jake, it's both those guys, whereas JC is just getting Tim Patrick again with a offense with Drew Locke as the quarterback. And Christian Kirk has Kyler Murray. Alan Lazard has Aaron Rodgers. I think I'd rather have Christian Kirk and Alan Lazard. Yeah, I didn't necessarily take a side. I just wanted to point out that Tim Patrick, despite the uh, no-name nature of him as a player, he has been producing this year. Yeah, so, you know, nothing too big there. I don't think, again, I've mentioned this a few times tonight, I don't think there was a clear winner or a clear loser Uh, But you did, I think you did bring up a fair point that Kirk and Patrick are comparable. So you might, you might want to be on the side that has the extra upside flyer with uh, Lazard coming back Jake's way. I don't disagree with that. Trade of the week. Uh, I will share mine. You know, we just had a couple trades happen live on the air. So I'll give you a little bit of time to maybe consider putting those in here, but I will share that mine, and I don't want to be biased, so I hope that this isn't the way that that comes off, but it's my trade with Sean where he gave up DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, and I gave up Matthew Stafford, James Robinson, David Montgomery, and Chris Godwin. So to, to share a little bit of my thought process, if there was one part of my lineup that had downside with not much upside to compensate for it, It was my quarterback duo, and I'm talking about before this week where I had Matt Stafford and uh, Derek Carr. In making this deal, I was able to grab the best player in fantasy right now. Kyler Murray is actually the number one player in fantasy football right now and improve at wide receiver by dealing out of a position of heavy strength and depth, which, of course, I'm talking about my running backs. Specifically, James Robinson, as I mentioned earlier, was the big piece that Uh, Sean and I talked about that I would have to move from my team to make this possible. And, 
you know, I want to comment a little bit on James Robinson because he's my boy. And I'm, I think, you know, moving forward as the years go on, even if he kind of fades out of relevance, because we do see that happen sometimes. Like the guy I always think of, Alex Collins, a couple years ago on the Baltimore Ravens, he was a pretty big running back for fantasy. And now all of a sudden he's like a practice squad running back. You don't see him anymore. So even if by some chance James Robinson were to fade out of relevance in a similar manner, I think I'm always going to have a special place for him in my heart because I, I don't know that I'll ever make a better pick in the draft in fantasy football. Uh, but the final phase of his journey on my team ended up being the sacrificial lamb, you know, for me to make that big time gain elsewhere at my quarterback position where I needed it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll comment real quick. When you say it was your best pick, it was actually your best miss pick because if people forget you actually picked Malcolm Brown and then you immediately were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I did not want to pick him. And, and then yeah, and I immediately did that because it was the, I remember exactly how it happened. It was the pick before mine. Lucas was on the clock. I was trying to remove everybody from my queue except for James Robinson because I knew that's who I was picking. And Malcolm Brown happened to be the guy that I was trying to remove from my queue as the clock switched to me being on the clock. <laughs> for whatever reason, the remove button turned into the draft button. So immediately I was like, no, 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 no. I was not trying to draft Malcolm Brown. I was trying yeah. to draft yeah, James Robinson. It, happened. it wasn't that you a minute or two later, like, wait, I didn't mean to, you did it immediately. So like we knew exactly what your intentions were and you made a mistake. It just is funny that it happens actually to be your best mispick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a funny story. What did you have for a uh, trade of the week on your I side? Think that was a trade of the week. What you mentioned, I think you getting Hopkins who's what a top three wide receiver. And I think he's also, seven now, but he was four, I think, when I got him. Yeah, I think. But he's really, in talent. He's definitely he's top five. Three receivers in the game. Mm -hmm. you know, he has that upside. Heck, did you see that catch he made it like two weeks ago? He's the best. The Hail Murray. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you got him and you got the best fantasy player in the game in Kyler Murray. So to me, that automatically spells that win where you weren't giving up. Even though you gave up pieces, I mean, you gave up James Robinson as your main starter, you weren't itching to get Chris Godwin in your lineup. You weren't itching to get Montgomery in your lineup and you were definitely itching to get Matthew Stafford out of your lineup. So to me, it's a clear win in favor of you. I under, again, I shared, I understand why Sean made the move. I just, I just think it elevated your team far more than it elevated his. Um, yeah. And if you don't mind me kind of chiming back in here, I do want to share a little bit, of advice that might be obvious to somebody like you, Nick, but maybe not so obvious to everybody. Um, and we're kind of at the, the end of our trading window for our fantasy football season. So I feel pretty comfortable sharing this now. And again, maybe it's obvious, but I do want to share that. I think when we kind of get to the end of the season here and you see me in particular making these trades where I'm giving up guys like David Montgomery, Chris Godwin, who I'm not starting um, you see that and you see me getting big time players to put into my lineup that I can't wait to put into my lineup, such as Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And you think, man, Nate is not giving up anything in terms of his lineup. He's not making much sacrifice here to make the improvements that he's getting in return. So to share a little bit of my strategy, um, which I shared with a couple people this week, I try to prioritize my management style in fantasy in two ways. And this is how I prioritize them in order. One, 
I try to make sure that there are no holes in my lineup. And then number two, after I accomplish that first goal, I try to build the best damn lineup in the entire league. And so the way that I try to build up my trades are making a bunch of small ones, right? And so that I keep building value and building value, or in, or in this case for this season, building depth and building depth by getting legit players that other people would want to put in their lineup, but they can't come into my lineup because I have too many of them. But it's those small trades like the John Brown and Boston Scott for David Montgomery, or when Chris Godwin and Nick Chubb were out giving up Tim Patrick and Raheem Mostert. Those were trades that I made, what, three weeks ago, and the Chris Godwin one was probably seven or eight weeks ago now. It's me playing the long game so that I can stack either A, my lineup, or B, stack my roster from top to bottom so that eventually I can take those legit players that even though I can't start them and turn them into absolute studs that I can't start. So to share a little bit of strategy, you know, don't knock the small trades that you might be making throughout the year because eventually they could pay off in a big way. And I know that you know that, Nick. Yeah. I did want to kind of share that little tidbit of advice. Did you have anything to add? No, I don't have anything to add. Though I want to give one quick shout out before we move away from the trade talk. Um, I think the pain has had to doll enough to at least highlight this. And it wasn't a bad trade. Uh, I just want to highlight, you and I were talking about like, oh man, Michael was so close to beating Eddie this past week. If only he didn't make that trade. And you initially were commenting, like, are you talking about the Zeke trade? I said, no, your trade for him, uh, for Waller. Because if Michael had Waller and kept, like, kept Waller and kept the New Orleans quarterback scenario, he would have beaten Eddie by, like, what was it, like a half a point? No, 0.06, less than, less than 0.1. Playoff hopes alive if that trade did not take place. And that, like, again, it's not like a terrible trade. It's just you see that in retrospect and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's the small margin of why I'm out. And I only bring that up because Michael's a great fantasy player. I know that pain I had to hit hard if he did think about that. If he didn't, I apologize, Michael, but I hope it just wore off at this point if he did. Um, and you can enjoy these last few weeks. Yeah, and I think uh... – Notice that. I know Nate and I did. At least I brought it to Nate's attention. That was just a really interesting um, factor from one of the trades. Right. And the way that I see that, which is you know, very legitimate to point out, that if he would have held off on that trade and set his lineup in a certain way where he claimed the New Orleans Saints backup quarterback and put him in, I kind of see that more closely aligned with like a lineup setting decision rather than like a decision in like a you know a decision where trading factored in which I know it did so it kind of sounds like I'm not making sense here but I remember a couple weeks ago where Mike put Rob Gronkowski into his lineup instead of Johnu Smith at the tight end position and if he would have just swapped that put Johnu Smith in the tight end spot instead of Gronk he would have won that week and so I kind of think of those two you know, slight chance outcomes in a similar manner. I know that one was just a simple lineup decision. One was by way of trade. But my overall point is it's so hard to predict that kind of thing. And if it were, you mentioned at the very beginning of sharing that, that it wasn't a bad trade. I think yeah, that I if it was a bad trade, you can definitely, 
Yeah. If it was a bad trade or one that was, you know, kind of clearly a, what were you thinking moment? It would be a valid thing to point out. It's still interesting to point out, but I don't necessarily know that Mike can go back and critique himself on that. Cause there's, I just don't think that there's any way he yeah. could have possibly known that it would be no, by such a slim I margin. That. I just realized he got Miami's defense for that game. And that was the killer. Cause points. I think they put up negative one. Yeah. And I think he played them. He did. He did. Dang. Yeah. So that was, I that was the killer. Um, and they were supposed to have a good game. I mean, that wasn't his mistake. <laughs> right. Right. It's yeah. It was just a really tough outcome that was hard to predict, but yeah. I did have two honorable mention trades. I did want to give some shine to not just my own trade, but I thought I gave a lot of shine to it earlier. JC giving up Keegan, Keenan Allen, uh, Jacoby Myers, and Gus Edwards. Sean giving up DJ Moore and David Montgomery. I thought that was a great trade for both sides, getting what they needed. And then I got to give a shout out to Eddie because, again, he did a really great job of closing all the holes in his lineup in his trade with Scott, where Scott gave up Russell Wilson and Julio Jones, and Eddie gave up Alvin Kamara, Cole Beasley, and Antonio Brown. So great trades by those four owners as well. Yep. The next segment that we're going to do is a new one. It's kind of, uh, you know, hopefully people listen to the podcast episode tomorrow. Otherwise, it won't. This segment may not matter to them so much. It's called sinking, swimming, or sailing. So for the sinkers, it's those who face the most pressure to make moves ahead of the trade deadline this week. For the swimmers, it's those who face some pressure to make moves ahead of the trade deadline this week. And for the sailors, it's those that face the least pressure to make moves ahead of the trade deadline this week. And of course, just as a reminder, because I don't want anybody to be confused by this and think, oh, I thought the trade deadline was at this time. The trade deadline is Friday at 3 a.m. So 24 hours from now, it'll be 10.44 p.m. on Thanksgiving night. That'll mean that there's just over four hours left for trades to be sent and accepted. So the night rolling into Black Friday, 3 a.m., that's the trade deadline. Just want to be clear on that. Back to sinking, swimming, or sailing. Start with the sinkers. Um, and these are guys, or a guy, that's still left in it for a playoff spot who has multiple significant holes with a fully healthy lineup, at least to my interpretation, right? Can I comment? I just, what's that? Uh, well, once you're done, I want to comment first. You could, you could lead us off if you want. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I actually didn't prepare for this segment at all. As you knew, I stepped in for Eddie last minute, sure. and I was busy trying to get our, our little girl to bed. But um, looking at this, this is definitely one, without even looking at the rosters, that I know the sinker, in my opinion. And I think I shared with – I shared earlier in the podcast the questions I have about his roster, and that's Damon's roster. I think there's a lot of question marks about his roster concerns. I think it has, you know, it's a good roster, but it's not one I personally would feel comfortable with heading into the fantasy playoffs or even making a push to get into the playoffs. Um, that's one roster I'd be looking to make moves with. That's an interesting pick, and as as you'll come to discover throughout this segment, I actually placed every single team left in it in one of these three categories. So you'll see where I placed Damon's team. But I actually picked one owner and one owner, one owner only for this category, the sinkers, and that was Sean. Um, Sean did a better, I don't want to say better job. He did a nice job to give me a little less pause about his roster tonight with his trade for Keenan Allen, but it also didn't close the gaps that I determined 
or that I perceived are there for his lineup, which are quarterback two, which is current quarterback two is Matthew Stafford and flex two, which is current options for flex two, especially now that he gave up David Montgomery and Gio Bernard has to play in his running back two are Jerry Judy and Mike Williams. Those are probably his two best options for flex two. So I would perceive those two positions to be holes because of course Stafford is not necessarily a desirable quarterback and Judy and Mike Williams are, I would consider them to be, you know, one of the highest extents of boomer bust wide receivers. So, you know, that's why I chose Sean and, and mentioned that I think he has two holes in his lineup with that second quarterback and second flex. You agree, disagree, don't have a strong opinion? Sure. Um, I think he was making his way from sneakers to swimmers with his moves tonight, but um, yeah. I, I would agree with that. He definitely moved the needle in the right direction tonight. Yeah, yeah, that's so. fair. My swimmers, uh, do you want to lead off so that I don't steal any of the thunder that you might have off the top of your head? Yeah, I don't have any off the top of my head. I know for sure you're going, going to mention my lineup, as I know you always like mention it to me and texting about my tight end situation with Austin Hooper and Jordan Reed. So, yeah, that's for sure one significant hole with a fully healthy lineup. So I'm sure I'm in the swimmers category. Um, I'm sure there might be a good bit of us in the swimmers category. And I'll save my opinion for who's probably in the sailors category by now when we get to it. Yeah. So for the swimmers, I have JC, you, and surprisingly, Scott. I guess it's not surprising because obviously he doesn't have yeah. a reliable quarterback too now. But JC, uh, he, so, so I should, I should probably put the disclaimer out there. I put JC in this category before tonight's trade because now he actually doesn't have a hole in his lineup because the hole that I perceived to be there before, which was pretty obvious was running back to his current, when I was preparing this, his current running back to options were Le'Veon Bell and Gus Edwards. Now, of course he has David Montgomery and got back DJ Moore to replace Keenan Allen. So I wouldn't say that his lineup is full of absolute studs outside of Dalvin cook now, but it definitely does not have any big holes in the lineup now. So I think I would mention, you didn't mention it. I think Noah Fant is a bigger hole than people think he scored over 10 points one time since week two. That to me is not a big name player in the lineup. Yeah. I don't think he draws a lot of attention because I think he got a lot of hype at the beginning of the season, but he's not on a very good um, offense and he hasn't been producing. I mean, he's been producing just about, as mediocre as pretty much everybody else in the tight end category. Sure. Yeah. I don't really think you're, you're dead on with that. I don't really think of Fant as a weakness in the lineup. I just kind of think of him as a middling tight end. Sure. But uh, yeah, that's a fair point to bring up. So I would say in a similar way that Sean moved the needle tonight in, in the right direction, heading from sinkers to swimmers, I think that JC moved the needle in the right direction for his own team, heading from swimmers to sailors but he's not necessarily fully in the clear yet, in my opinion, because while he doesn't have any holes, his lineup could stand to improve for sure. Um, the second one that I have, you've already highlighted it. It is you in the position that I think that you have a hole at is tight end with Austin Hooper and Jordan Reed. I think that those guys both have upside. You know, certainly Jordan Reed has been a top tight end in years past. Austin Hooper was a great tight end for fantasy last year. 
but those guys just have not really shown anything this year. So I do think that that is a hole for you. I don't think that you could give me much argument that compared to the rest of the league, you know, of course I'm speaking comparatively here, that that's not a hole for your lineup. Um, but I will definitely concede the floor to you if you want to talk about your tight end situation. No, I don't really um, have great thoughts to share that are, you know, game-changing about my tight end situation. It's not the absolute I worst position. I above average at best. Yeah, it's not the absolute worst position to be in, to have Hooper and Reed to choose from to stream, but it's certainly not a situation that you feel good about um, when you're yeah, when you're sums it up well. when you're looking at some of the other teams and what their situations are. The last one that I have, which is a development of the trade made yesterday, is Scott, and I'm specifically talking about his quarterback too, which before was Deshaun Watson because he had Russell Wilson as his QB one. Well. Scott actually traded his QB1, and now Deshaun Watson is his QB1 with no healthy quarterback, too. He did add Gardner Minshew, which I I do want to say, I saw that today, and I thought that was a really smart ad by Scott because there's no downside to it because presumably Minshew is not going to play this week, so he can likely go in Scott's IR spot. And even if it comes out that when he gets healthy that he's not starting, didn't cost anything for Scott to add him. It's probably not going to cost anything for him to stash him, assuming that he can go in that IR spot. Um, but he could have some upside as a quarterback too if he does reclaim that starter's role when he gets healthy. So I thought that was a really smart ad by Scott. But there's, the yeah, there's no denying that as of right now, um, nothing is a guarantee with Minshew, and so Scott's going to have to kind of play streamer at his at his quarterback two position. And he, you know, if he plans on fixing that by trading for something. He only has just over 24 hours to do it, so I don't anticipate him kind of patching that through trade. Anything to add or anybody else to add in terms of the owners that might be considered swimmers? Um, no. I mean, what we're looking at, the lineups that are left, you and Eddie, is that it? And Jake? Yeah. Okay, so we know where they're going. Right. So my sailors... Uh, I'll let you, I'll, I'll lead us off here and then you can comment whether you agree or disagree. Don't have too much more to add. My sailors are myself, Eddie, Jake, and to your surprise, Damon, I actually have as a sailor. So how I define this or the criteria that I set for this category was people with no holes with a fully healthy lineup. I did note for each of these owners, potential areas of improvement, because as you and I always say, should always be improving. So I did want to note positions where each of these teams could stand to improve. So with my team, it's quarterback two, right? I have Taysom Hill right now and Drew Brees. Um, And that's certainly a solid quarterback two to have. I think if Hill continues to perform, even at like 80%, you know, with an 80th percentile outcome that he did in his debut or 75th percentile outcome, something along those lines that he'll be a serviceable quarterback to until Breeze gets back. And we all know the kind of quarterback that Drew Breeze is. He's certainly a serviceable quarterback too. But that being said, there's a lot of quarterbacks better than Drew Breeze. There's probably eight to 10 that are better than Drew Breeze. So I could stand to upgrade there. With Eddie, we have quarterback two and tight end. Eddie's current quarterback two is Ryan Tannehill current tight ends are Evan Ingram and Eric Ebron. 
And with Tannehill, I know that he is just inside the top 10. I think he's quarterback nine, but he's not necessarily a guy that you view as lights out despite being in that top 10 power ranking at the moment. So I think that if it were up to Eddie, he would certainly like to get a better quarterback. I don't think that, again, this is why I put these guys in the sailors category. I don't think that he's itching to move Tannehill and get that upgrade, but I think that if he had the choice, you know, and it was a pretty easy move for him to make, he would upgrade Tannehill. And then of course, the tight end situation is a slightly better version, I think, of your tight end situation with Hooper and Reed. He has Evan Ingram and Eric Ebron, which I think are both better than Hooper or Reed, but I don't think by a whole lot are they better than those two guys. They're good enough that you can play the matchups between them and get pretty decent tight end production every week, but certainly not lights out, set it, and forget it, guys. Yeah. Damon, um, this is the one that obviously you and I disagree on. He doesn't have... I'm, I'm going to kind of go a little bit more in detail with his lineup to kind of, I want to see where you and I disagree. I don't perceive his, I don't perceive him to have a hole in any way at running back with Swift, Kenyon Drake, Wayne Gallman, and Chase Edmonds. I don't think that he has any lights out players there, but I think with four viable plays, I don't think that he has any holes or that he's worrying too much about running back. Agree, disagree? I guess disagree? Sailors is different. So... I'll yeah, no, no, no. sure, it. sure. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can definitely explain your uh, the way that you viewed it. Um, wide receivers, he has. I think he has Calvin Ridley, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, and I know that there's one more that I'm missing. Robbie off Anderson. Robbie Anderson, and you mentioned earlier that Robbie Anderson yeah, has been trending. Rager. Yeah, Rager is more He's of I think an emergency guy. play. <laughs> But you did mention earlier that Robbie Anderson has been trending down like in a bad way recently. Yeah, pretty bad way. But I do think that any team that can start Robbie Anderson in the flex two spot is kind of in a luxury spot, which is exactly the situation that Damon has right now. So I still, again, didn't see a weakness for him there. So the, and, and then of course he has Josh Allen. So he has a great quarterback one. So the two areas that I thought Damon could definitely use improvement from, but they weren't necessarily wide open holes were his quarterback too, Matt Ryan, and his tight end, Hayden Hurst. And I think it's mostly because of their boomer bust nature where and their values are tied together, of course, with the, you know, them playing on the same team. Matt Ryan has either a great game or he has an absolutely terrible game. And Hayden Hurst showed us that he can do the same thing because he actually put up zero last week. So those were the two areas that I think that Damon doesn't have to do anything with, but I, he certainly could stand to improve in those two areas. But I'll let you go ahead and kind of explain why you disagreed, where your digression is with your kind of definition of a sailor sure, for this so, segment. Well, I explained uh, why I had questions about his lineup. How though, when you look at it on paper, it's a solid lineup. It's put together well. I guess when I think of a sailor, I know you said there's no holes, but I almost want to add it's a team that has no holes and that also you believe has the contention to win the, win the championship. And to sure. me, when I look at this roster, I think he can win and make it in the playoffs, maybe get, a, maybe get a win in the playoffs. But to me, I do not place his team as a team that is capable of making a run in the playoffs and I for sure, yeah, I would be shocked if his team won the fantasy championship for sure. 
Yeah, and the way that I laid out the the definitions at first, talking about you know most pressure to make a move, some pressure to make a move, least pressure to make a move. It you know just like you are interpreting now, it was left to interpretation a little bit. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you bring that up because I can definitely see you know grouping these categories together as teams that are furthest away from championship contention teams that you know have a shot but they're going to need some good luck or make a couple moves before our window closes or those that seem to already be in championship form or close to it so i'm glad that you brought that up yeah um, but saying that about damon's team it's not like i'm saying that thinking like my team's so much better no i don't i, I don't i don't necessarily think that but that's just kind of my thought on what qualifies for the sailor category but that's just something that was made up for this episode. So it's open to interpretation, like you said. Sure. And I'm actually glad that you kind of brought that different perspective. It makes, makes for an interesting um, segment of content. Let me wrap up by telling you why I think Jake is also a sailor, despite being at a five and six record, um, especially with his trade um, involving Sean yesterday. He had a pretty big hole at running back too, which is why he was even considering moving Justin Herbert. Now he has at his running back to Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Of course, he's probably going to want to play Jonathan Taylor, but I don't think any of us would be shocked if Naheem Hines somehow took over as the lead fantasy back in Indianapolis. But um, despite having no holes, I still interpreted Jake's lineup as could use improvement at running back two as well as in the flex two spot. So again, his current running back two situation is Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Definitely not a hole, definitely not a huge weakness, but not exciting players that you are, you know, you can't wait to watch them play on Sunday in the way that some others are around the league. So he could stand to improve there. And then his current flex two, he has Jarek McKinnon. He already dropped uh, Hollywood Brown, who I did kind of list in this segment, if for nothing else, because Jake didn't have a lot of viable fantasy players on his bench. And then he did have Tim Patrick, but he just traded him away, of course, as we talked about earlier, for Christian Kirk and Alan Lazard. So not game-changing players, not necessarily holes, but players that he could stand to improve upon. Um, but Jake, I think he's looking good. I don't think his record indicates how good his roster actually is. So I have him as a sailor, surprisingly, even though he has a 5-6 and six record. Anything to close out on that segment? No, I don't disagree. And I think the one big game changer, I mean, there's quite a few guys on this team that are proving to be really fantasy relevant and great plays each week. But the one big game changer is Travis Kelsey in that lineup. I mean, that's almost like having an extra roster spot to play each week. And so, I mean, that's a big game changer where if he does make it into playoffs, even though his record's not very good right now, I think he does have the capability to not just make a run, but even make it into the championship and, and possibly win. But who knows? We'll see. Right. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that uh you agreed with my somewhat bold pick there. I thought it would be it would raise some eyebrows if I put Jake in there, but I'm glad that you see it the same way. Let's uh transition into our around the league segment. I know Eddie normally takes this part of the episode to give us fantasy over under. He did actually make the picks for fantasy over under, or I should say he supplied the over under lines for each of these players. But of course he is not joining us tonight for the episode, but I do want to update 
from last week. Eddie is now seven and 11 on the season. So, you know, not great in our inaugural season with these fantasy over under picks, but neither am I. I'm sitting at nine and nine, sitting at 500. Nick, from the last time that he was on, went two and one. So he has the winning percentage lead on the three of us, you know, if I'm including Eddie in that. And then, of course, uh, we've had the only other person we've had on is Michael, who went one and two. So, so far, out of everybody that's been on the podcast, Nick, you have the best winning percentage in fantasy over under. Let's see if you can continue that this week. Sure. Our first fantasy over-under. Again, I did not pick these. These were supplied to me by Eddie. It is Taysom Hill versus Denver with an over-under of 15 fantasy points. You got over think, or under here? Yeah, I think to me this might be, in my mind, the only easy one of the three, and I'm going to take the over. I'm also going to take the over, um, and I think it's for two reasons. One, Denver's defense is pretty weak. And two, while I don't think I can fully count on two rushing touchdowns, I think that Taysom Hill ran enough to show the type of fantasy quarterback he will be if and when he starts in the future, which is a quarterback with a rushing floor. So I think that based on those two things, it's pretty easy to take the over, just as you mentioned. Over 15 points for Taysom Hill versus Denver this week. That's what we both went with. Next one is uh, on the flip side, your boy, Pat Mahomes. My boy. He's playing Tampa Bay, who has, you know, I'll just throw it out there ahead of time before we make our picks. They have a tough defense, although Jared Goff kind of lit them up this past Monday night. Eddie set the over-under line at 25 fantasy points for Pat Mahomes. What do you have for your pick? Uh, That's a good line. Uh, I have to stick with my boy since he's in my roster. He's the man. Uh, I'll go with the over. And also I'll add a little note that the Lions at 25 and he's averaging 26. Um, I know in some inflated games, bring that number up, but um, it's a good line. I'm I'm just going to take the over. Yeah, it is a very good line because I actually had to kind of stop and think about it for a little bit. But this, you know, despite Pat Mahomes being in my mind, still the number one pick as far as quarterbacks go in next year's fantasy football draft, just based on the consistency that he provides at the quarterback position. I am taking the under 25 points this week because I did mention earlier that Tampa Bay has a tough defense, even though they did not play super well against the Rams this past week. I still think that they have a good defense. And I also think that you see that 25 for one of the top three or four quarterbacks, and you think, all those guys put up 25 every week. But I still see 25 points as you know a pretty challenging mark to get to just in any given week. Um, even for Patrick Mahomes, even for Kyler Murray, I think that scoring over 25, I know you mentioned Patrick Mahomes has an average above that, but I still want to say that Overall, for fantasy, it's more of the exception than it is the rule, even for the top players. So that's why I want to go with the under here. The last, the last fantasy over-under line that Eddie gave us is a guy that we've talked about quite a bit this episode, David Montgomery versus Green Bay. And Eddie set the line over-under 15 points. I'll just lead off and say, I have the under. David Montgomery hasn't played in two weeks. He didn't have like a serious like lower body injury or anything. He had a concussion. But I know that Green Bay's defense has been respectable. 
and I expect Green Bay to take an early lead over the Bears, so I don't necessarily know that David Montgomery is going to get a ton of touches, so I think I'm going to take the under here. Okay, so before I make my selection, I have a few points since you have a slight edge of having Montgomery over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You ready? Sure. You said you take the under for a favorable matchup for Montgomery of 15 points going under that against the Packers. Would you take the over 15 points for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire against a tough Tampa defense? I would not. Okay, also, how many times this year do you think David Montgomery has scored more than 15 points? Now you're giving me a baseline of 15 points for Montgomery. I know that David Montgomery has frequently scored between 11 and 13 points almost on a weekly basis. Oh my gosh. That sounds so awful to have in your lineup. (laughs) But how many times has he scored under, let's say eight points versus Clyde? He scored under eight points twice and he scored 8.4 points once. So let's just call it. It's just an arbitrary number. I'm not looking at David Montgomery's profile. So he scored over 15 points twice. He scored under eight points twice. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire scored over 15 points four times. And I'm just pulling up this now to look to see under eight points. He has scored under eight points one time. And that was the only time he scored under 10 points. So he, despite that one time Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a six-point showing, he has been 11 points or greater every single game. I think what we need to do is get JC in here and just lock you two in a Zoom meeting together so that you can explain to him why he made the wrong decision. Clearly made. (laughs) I think actually the facts show it. Uh, Clyde Edwards hilarious. I don't. Montgomery and Allen Robinson is better than. I will uh, put myself in JC's shoes here and also (laughs) present the angle of if you're JC and you don't know what the playoff bracket looks like yet and you know that there's a chance that you could play anybody, which team would you rather see Keenan Allen go to if the offers are a coin flip? And I think that the pretty obvious choice there is Sean's team over your team. I don't know if that's, you know, what his final factor factoring into the two offers was, but that, you know, I think it's also an angle to view the deal from. So you didn't give me your over under for David Montgomery, 15 points versus green Bay. I'm saying under for sure. I was kind of thinking you were going to go with the over there, but I should have just said over to be ironic. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, you went with over, over, under. I went with over, under, under. So there will be a difference in our records, I think, this week. Yeah, there has to be because we made different picks. Transaction of the week, where as we're winding down this seventh episode of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Football Podcast. For my transaction of the week, I don't think you're going to like this one too much. I have you adding Samaje Pirine and dropping Robert Tunyon. And let me explain why. Your biggest team need, as I've stated already, has been at tight end since George Kittle went down. And I'm not necessarily sure, and I'm sh- you, you, can, you can answer me here as soon as I finish up. I'm not sure what you were thinking by dropping a tight end who was already in the top 10 and and he has upside. He's shown that for a third string running back from the Bengals. Um, but it certainly made it look worse when Tunyon went on to drop 15.4 points this weekend to move up to tight end six. I will say before you jump in, 
that my honorable mention for transaction of the week was you adding Michael Pittman Jr. and dropping Darnell Mooney because Michael Pittman Jr. was a really good flex play for you this week. Yeah, I'll add with Tunyon. Him getting 15 points for me would not have made a difference. And I still probably would not even play him this week, even him being number six and being better, you know, stat wise than Hooper and Reed. I just think talent wise, he's not better than them. So I would take my shot with one of those two. So that's why I dropped him. I didn't want to roster three tight ends. And he was the one guy I first saw that I would not feel comfortable or want to like, he's just somebody I would not want to put in my lineup. So that's why I did it. My question um, to you, and I'm not JP Ron. I should have kept him. I just dropped him today, and Gio Bernard is out with a concussion currently. That's what I was going to ask. Was even though it may look a little better now, why on Sunday before kickoff? I can understand what you meant in terms of you thought it was headed in a different direction with Tunyon that you wouldn't use him. Why at that moment did so, you decide to drop him for the backup to the backup? Sure. So here. I think this is a helpful tip. It's not like a, an amazing tip to do. I think this is a helpful tip though for fantasy players to keep in mind. Um, I wouldn't call him the backup to the backup anymore because Joe Mixon might not be coming back for a long time. He's on the IR and he might not be coming back at all. So he's the backup. And if you have a guy in your lineup that you know you're not playing that week and you don't foresee playing next week, I think it's helpful to drop those guys come Sunday morning and add a backup running back in lieu of possibly the starter getting hurt. And then all of a sudden that guy is the guy heading into the next coming weeks. And you don't have to battle for him on the waiver wire whenever he becomes a guy. That's helpful piece of I think that's a very smart, small tip if you can afford to do that with your roster. Yeah, I think in a vacuum, that's a very smart thing to do. I think that it just happened to, I don't want to say burn you because your team isn't made or breaking from Robert Tunyon, but I just think in this particular case, it didn't work out for you. But I think in general, that is a ideal like this. That is a savvy way to manage your roster and kind of churn the worst players on your roster to target potential upside. Yeah. What did you have for transaction of the week? If you had anything at all? No, I don't, I don't, I didn't have anything to add because I'll throw it out there. I'll throw it out there that you can comment a little bit more on because I'm sure that you might have some additional thoughts to it. But I was thinking about putting Scott adding Gardner Minshew in here. Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't call it the out of the week, but it was one, I think, yeah, we both had the same opinion of, oh, I didn't think about that. That's, that could work out well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was smart. So but yeah. let's uh, get into our last part of the Around the League segment in our final piece of this seventh episode, the news and notes. So first one that I've written down here that you can see, Joe Burrow destroyed his knee. He had an ACL tear, an MCL tear, and even more structural damage to his knee. My first question to you, Nick, does this hurt Bengals position players? 100%. 100% hurts. Um, Before, I remember talking to JC about T. Higgins and the negotiations and to me, he's totally dropped from my mind from, for asking for um, pretty much most of all the, actually all the Bengals players for sure drop in value in my opinion. Okay. So perfect follow-up to that question. If there was one player to hold their value in this offense, who is it for you and why? 
I think you're asking this question because I think you want me to say Tyler Boyd since he's on your roster. Um, I don't know what the answer to hold their value would be. Maybe to me, I would phrase it in whose value can change for the better, even, even though maybe this is a contradiction because I've just shared that I think all their values drop. I will add, I think maybe whoever's at running back, maybe they just lean to use that skill position more than they have, more than at least Burrow did in these screens um, and, and stuff getting short dumps off to the running back and doing, making their quarterback doing less passing down the field. So I'll add that. I think maybe it helps the running back, but I don't know if anybody maintains their value or increases it in the wide receiver role. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair take on it. And I was not leading my question. That's what you're accusing me of. Uh, so the second piece of news, not necessarily news, but I thought it was an interesting tidbit. Taysom Hill scored nearly 25 fantasy points in his debut at starting quarterback. Do you think that he is a legit starter in the NFL in the post-Drew Brees era? Um, I need to see more. I don't have a yes or no answer to that yet, other than I need to see more to give a definitive opinion on whether I believe he's a start, legit starter in the NFL. I like him. Like I like him as a player. I actually enjoy seeing him do well, other than him being in your roster. <laughs> um, but that actually doesn't really bother me either. Okay. But yeah, that's my that's my thought. I think he whereas I had I had an opinion that there's no way he was ever going to be a legit NFL starting quarterback before this past week. It at least piqued my interest to see what he continues to do. So my second question and the final question of our podcast, who would you compare him to among cor- current quarterbacks if he had the full-time job? Uh can- Current quarterbacks, well, obviously, you have to say mobile. Um, I have one guy in my mind specifically that so far, based on our very limited sample of Taysom Hill's play, that I think like, oh, yeah, those two are basically the same player. I know who you're going to say. Um, The player I want to say makes sense, but then doesn't make sense. The player I want to say is Cam Newton because of the running uh, and Taysom Hill's passing to me. I think I need to see it to believe that it's okay. And to me, Cam Newton's passing is okay, if not above average most games, but his rushing floor or his rushing helps him keep a high floor. And I feel like you might say that he reminds you of Kyler Murray. No, I actually, no, it's Cam, it's Cam Newton. Okay, great. I think that his play style, you know, of course it could change because we've only seen one start from him, but, uh, I think he did well through the air. I know he didn't throw for any touchdowns, but I think he almost passed for 300 yards. Um, So he clearly has the ability to throw the football, but he is a very tough, gritty player that is a big rushing threat. That's just, it looks like it's going to be an inherent part of his quarterback play. Sorry, did I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, I just want to add one NFL analyst compared him to a player I don't believe anybody in this podcast or any, I should say anybody in the league has watched a player other than maybe Scott and I uh, NFL commentator this past week compared Taysom Hill to Steve Young that I was, actually did hear that yeah I, I think I also heard somebody say 
Steve McNair. That's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, a quarterback that can get it done on his feet, in other words. I think that was pretty clear that Taysom Hill showed us that if he does end up as a legit NFL starting quarterback, that running is going to be part of his game. For um, sure. Certainly by picking up not just one, but two rushing touchdowns. So I'm excited. Even, you know, I'm, I'm even to the point where I don't think that the, that the Saints should rush Drew Brees back. Just let Taysom Hill get a couple games under his belt, see how he can develop. I don't mind that do. as, yeah, as his fantasy owner. Back, let him get healthy. Yeah, did you see that? Uh, I guess I could have put this in the news. Drew Brees not just, doesn't just have five uh, broken ribs and a collapsed lung. It actually came out that he has 11. Yeah. He's That's old. crazy. That sounds like... It sounds like one of the most painful injuries that somebody could have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a pain you're feeling all day. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Nick, for uh, jumping in for Eddie here this week with very short notice. You did a great job, although you didn't have a whole lot of time to prep. So we appreciate that. And, uh, you know, always look forward to when we can get you on the episode here. I'm sure Eddie is bummed that he missed out to be able to chat with both of us this week. I know everybody else is going to look forward to hearing the two of us on the episode this week, although we didn't, I don't think we beefed too much. Uh, do you have anything closing that you want to share? Sure. I'll just add, this is obviously probably my last time on the podcast and it was a surprise since I'm in wrestling season, but um, yeah, it was fun to step in for Eddie and uh, I'll add, if you listened all the way to this point, if there's anything about, takes of mine or opinions of mine i know i was coming off strong at times it's just kind of part of the fun i do have no ill will towards any team as far as hoping that one team does better than the other it's kind of the fun of it kind of seeing how things shake out seeing who falls where and to me it doesn't really matter where i always have of course as i'm sure everybody else does um so i just wanted to add that as you know wrapping up sometimes i think i tend to maybe have a stronger opinion or tend to be willing to share it when it comes to evaluating trades and stuff, but it's not, I don't want anybody thinking that I'm criticizing their management. I think the league has been pretty great this year. Yeah, I agree. I think this is our best uh, fantasy season to date. I think we're only going to get better from here. And I will say that this probably is your last episode of this Mm -hmm. fantasy season, unless you take home the title this year, because we plan on having our league champion, on the episode to close out the league year. So awesome. if you are able to take home the title once again for two years in a row, we will be glad to have you back on the last episode of the season. I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the seventh episode of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Football Podcast. It is currently Wednesday night. We will try to get this posted by thursday thanksgiving early afternoon at the latest hopefully we can actually get it up later tonight i will do my best to do that for you guys but again we appreciate you guys listening week in and week out and uh more than anything we hope that this is just as fun for you guys as it is for us who are making the content and again we hope that everybody is eventually able to join us in the same way that nick has in the same way that mike has because i think it's a lot of fun to bring you guys on listen to your takes, listen to your opinions. Um, So looking forward to that in the future. Thanks again, guys. And we will catch you on episode eight.